0: This morning's Bible reading comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verses 1 to 27. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokoth in Judah. They pitched their camp at Ephrath's Damon, between Sokoth and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze ravelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed six hundred shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects." But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. The Philist- then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrath named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Elab, the second Abinadab, the third Shema. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers, and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are, and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, "'loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. "'He reached the camp as the army was going out "'to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. "'Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, "'facing each other. "'David left his things with the keeper of supplies, "'ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. "'As he was talking to them, Goliath, "'the Philistine champion from Gath, "'stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance.' And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. Um, And now verses 32 to 35. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. Struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair Struck it and killed it Oh, thirty-seven. sorry Your servant has um, killed both the lion and the bear This uncirc- uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them Because he has defied the armies of the living God the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Sorry. I couldn't read my own writing. I wrote to 55, but it looks like 35. Okay. All right. Keep going. Thank you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around, but he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield-bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, come here he said and i will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals david said to the philistine you come against me with sword and spear and javelin but i come against you in the name of the lord almighty the god of the armies of israel whom you have defied this day the lord will deliver you into my hands and i will strike you down cut off your and cut off your head this very day i will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. The men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharam Road to Gath and Elkron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. I saw Watch David going out to meet the Philistine. He said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, As surely as you live your majesty, I don't know.
1: Thank you for reading that epic reading. It's one of those stories in the Bible that you've got to read it. It just keeps begging you to finish the story. But I can imagine you're expecting to be asked to keep reading and keep reading and keep reading. I wanted to uh, say how good it is again to be with you. This is my second last time with you and uh, my last time will be on the last Sunday of the month. The Day Before Darwin's uh, Induction. Um, and with that in mind, I want to encourage you to think about getting a book. This is a new book uh, produced by a man in Sydney, actually, uh, a lecturer at a college, and it's called Fight for Your Pastor. And if you want to uh, support and encourage your pastor, this is a great book to read. It takes up things like... Uh, 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 encouragement, listening, giving, forgiving, submitting, and so on. There's more. Um, it's a really difficult time for people to be ministers of God's word. Uh, you've noticed how much the world has changed and ministers are trying to engage the gospel with this changing world. There are all sorts of demands. And so the aim of the book is to encourage you as you seek to pass to uh, Uh, Care for your pastor And indeed fight for him Well I wonder if you've noticed How trusting and knowing Christ Changes how we look at things Where there was darkness Light starts to shine Have you noticed that? Where there was darkness Things that once puzzled us, they now start to make sense to us. Things that once seemed to have no purpose in our lives, now we see have glorious purpose. Once there was meaninglessness, and when we come to Christ, we find ourselves rich in meaning, our lives, our direction, our sense of ourselves full of meaning. Once there was only injustice and there was no one to help, Um, But now we see that there is justice and justice will prevail gloriously. When a person becomes a Christian, we begin to see things with new eyes, sometimes immediately. At other times, it's over a period of time this develops. We no longer see things as the world sees them. We see things from God's perspective in Jesus. The Bible puts it this way. The Apostle Paul says, we live by faith, not by sight. And that brings us to the story of David and Goliath. It's one of the most loved stories in the Bible, isn't it? Um, So well known is that story, so rooted in our society's um, memory and imagination, that journalists, commentators, politicians, all sorts of people talk about David and Goliath battles and think nothing of it. We just know it. But it's really a story about how do you see? And most of those people, as they talk about David and Goliath, don't actually see what it's about. It asks, what do we see uh, it asks, what, do we see things happening around us with the world's eyes or with God's eyes? Now, 1 Samuel opens with Samuel being born after godly Hannah's prayer right at the beginning. You might remember that. Um, he will be the last judge to lead Israel. He is a very godly and faithful man, But his sons are real problems. They are not leadership material. So when he grows old, by 1 Samuel chapter 8, the elders of Israel come to Samuel and they demand that Samuel appoint a king for them like the other nations. This is a major turning point in the life of Israel and in the whole story of the Bible, the introduction of a king for God's people. They want a king to lead them and to save them from their enemies, just like the other nations have. And so the context of the story of David and Goliath is the question, who is the right person to be king of over God's people and save them? Uh, The Philistines, as you heard, are the major enemies, local enemies Israel is facing in 1 Samuel And it's not just a battle of armies, but it's actually a battle of gods. Whose God will give victory? Is their God, Dagon? Is he the true God who gives victory? Or is Israel's God, Yahweh, the true God who gives victory? Whose God truly rules this world? And so we come to Saul. Saul is appointed a king like the kings of the nations around Israel. In other words, he is just the man that Israel wanted. After solemnly warning Israel about their quest for a king, Samuel, because they're going about it for entirely the wrong reasons, Samuel anoints Saul uh, for them. And Saul is a handsome man and a head taller than anyone else. I must say, I do enjoy being a head taller than a few people. It's good fun being tall. Samuel was that kind of bloke. He's the kind of leader that people vote for. Like American presidents, they're all very tall. And he is the sort of king they were excited about for the same reasons as the world. But Saul is very much a worldly man. As a king, he's a failure. He's unfaithful to God. He's cowardly. He's disobedient. Up to this point in 1 Samuel, Saul has already disobeyed God more than once. He has been so unfaithful that in chapter 16, the Lord has torn the kingdom away from him. He's still king, but his kingship will not endure. In his place, Samuel is sent by God to the house of Jesse to anoint one of his sons, as we read, uh, to replace Saul when the time comes. Jesse brings his seven sons forward. Uh, They look like a ripe bunch of possibility from his point of view and ours. There are some good candidates among them. But God tells Samuel not to look on outward appearances, but to look rather at the heart. And so all of those seven sons are rejected one after another by Samuel. Is there another son? Well, yes, there is, but he's just out looking after the sheep. You can't be serious about wanting to see this one. He's just a youth, just a boy. And so Samuel, so David is brought forward and is chosen. The youngest, the smallest, but a man after God's own heart. And the spirit of God departs from Saul and rests upon David. And so we come to the story of David and Goliath in chapter 17. The battle lines are drawn up. The Israelites are on the northern hill on one side of a valley. The Philistines are on the southern hill facing them. The valley in between is where the battleground is. Goliath, he's a frightening figure. And he bellows out the challenge to come and fight me. If you win, we Philistines will become your slaves. If you win, if if I, Goliath, win, you Israelites become our slaves. Did I say that right? If you win, we become your slaves. If I win, you become ours. Goliath is literally the in-between man. He's the champion set forward by the Philistines. It will be a battle of champions. Whose great one can fight against Goliath to decide the outcome between these two armies? He is a frightening enemy. And indeed, uh, who will fight this giant hulk of a man? This great enemy. Notice his size, his six cubits and a span. That is, he's about nine foot nine inches or about three, three metres high. I don't even make it to two metres. His armour is massive. He wears 58 kilograms of armour. That's as much as some people weigh. He has a shield bearer who walks in front of him. He is a walking tank of a man. He cries out his challenge twice each day. This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other, he says in verse 10. And what is the Israelite army's response? Well, in verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Forty days this happens. And no one comes forward, not even Saul, who was to be the saviour king, the man chosen for this very moment. He is actually just like the rest. He is terrified and quivering behind his army lines at the sight of Goliath. And so they are effectively leaderless. This is typical of Saul. And even the inducements of Saul is no help. Great wealth, his daughter in marriage, exempt from taxes. Sounds pretty attractive, but they couldn't even attract anyone to take up those terrific offers from Saul. The mighty men of Israel trembled. What they see with their eyes is too much for them, they're overwhelmed. Let me pause and ask, what are the threats facing you? Many of us have what seem like Goliath sized threats facing us in our lives. I wonder what yours are. Might be a health issue, might be a hard decision, might be a difficult circumstance in life. As a church, you're soon to get a new minister. What will he be? What what will he and his wife be like once they settle in? How will this go? Can, can you together under a new minister go forward as you hope? That's a great challenge for any church. And we're assured that the great challenge of our time is the t- challenge of climate change, aren't we? We're told that that is... The the dire ends that we've got to avoid, the biggest and worst threat that we face, is that our Goliath? I suggest more importantly, what about that hard-hearted person you know? Can they ever be saved? Can even God save that person who seems so hard to Jesus? Now, when the world looks on such things with its eyes, it looks with sight, it trembles with fear, just like the armies of Israel. Perhaps you too wonder who can help, who can help me, who can help us? What will become of us? Do I, do we have a future? We're nothing. We're so weak before the great obstacles that life throws up to us. How can we face them? We tremble with fear at some of the things going on in our lives. And so you may be able to identify with Saul and his men over those terrible 40 days as they saw and heard this giant thunder out his threats, And you may feel like hunkering down in a huddle, digging a figurative trench here, as it were, and hold on to each other, hoping for the best. That's what Saul and the armies were doing. And many great forces are raised against not only this church, but Christians everywhere that are very great indeed. Secularism and its atheism progressive social ideology gender politics we were once as christians the good guys in society but now as someone has, uh, has, has said now christians and the church are the bad guys what will become of us in this world And that's only one way of seeing things. That is the way the world sees threats. We look at how great they are and we tremble. But there is another way of seeing. Let's turn to David. David is an unlikely hero. He is not head and shoulders taller than the rest, like Saul. He's young, barely out of his childhood, it seems, and small. When Samuel goes to Jesse's place to find God's new man, there is a sense behind the whole episode when David is called off. Surely not. You can't be serious, Samuel. Samuel. There are much more reasonable candidates to take on our great enemies than this boy. And here at the battlefront, three of his older brothers of David are quivering behind the lines. We didn't read it, but if you read the complete chapter, you'll see that they, one of them at least, starts to abuse him when he shows up. When David offers to go out and meet Goliath, Saul is very doubtful. Goliath is a seasoned warrior. David's just a shepherd boy. When David assures him that he can win, Saul tries to give him his armour for the battle. Maybe this will at least spare his life somehow. But his armour is of no use to David. And when David goes out to Goliath, we read of Goliath, that he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals." From a human perspective, David is a completely foolish choice as a champion. And he has foolish weapons for the battle. But notice the important difference with David. David, unlike the rest of Israel, David has complete confidence that this is God's fight. This is not really a battle of army against army, man against man. That's how it looks from our side. But no, this is a battle between defiant Philistines and the armies of the living God. As someone who knows this, he steps forward to fight without hesitation. God is the living God and Israel are his people. The battle belongs to him. And so when Goliath has said his peace, listen again to what David said to him in return. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. Well, we know what happens next, don't we? David A needs one of his little stones, it sinks deep into Goliath's forehead. He falls down face first onto the ground. Just like Dagon, his God, did before the ark. If you remember back in chapter two and three, I think it is. And he's finished off by David. And the victory is summed up almost like a song or a news report repeated up and down the land in verse 50. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. You can imagine that being sung around the the towns and villages of Israel. The Philistine army flees, of course, and as David said, he's roundly defeated. Israel begins to see David in David, someone who maybe is truly king, material. And people will say, As the story unfolds, Saul kills his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. Now, is David the saviour king that they hoped for? That's the central point of the story, the big story of the Bible from Genesis chapter 3 onwards is an unfolding story of who will be the rightful king and saviour of God's people. We ask it of Adam, Noah, Moses, Joshua, the messy judges, of Saul. And now we wonder if David will be the man. But we know that he's going to show himself to be flawed, don't we? Who can forget what happened with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah? And the kings who followed him, who shepherded Israel from Solomon on, they were no better. They too were flawed. The The problem we all share with them is sin. And it's the same sin at work in all of our hearts, including these leaders. We are fallen people. We are people in need of saving ourselves from our sin. And of course, your new minister, Darwin, uh, will show himself flawed in one or more ways. That's inevitable because he's a human like the rest of us. Like all ministers, like all elders, like all congregation members, don't be surprised. He is not your saviour. He is not your saviour. Just like you and me and everyone else, all ministers need a saviour themselves. So show as much forgiveness and grace towards Darwin as you hope God himself will show to you when your many flaws and sins are exposed on the last day before everybody. Expect every minister to have failings. They are not saviours. But their job is to point you to the one who is the saviour, who is not flawed, and who will not fail us. You see, David is a prototype He's a pointer to someone else. David was from a town called Bethlehem. That was his hometown. We've been remembering, we've remembered it this morning, haven't we? Um, Someone else who came from Bethlehem. One of David's descendants. Someone who was given the name Jesus because he will save his people. The big message of David and Goliath is that David is a pointer to Jesus Christ, who was the perfect God taking on flesh without flaw. He went boldly into battle for us on the cross, Trusting his father to save him from death. Just as David had gone into battle against Goliath, trusting God to deliver him. But Jesus went to rescue us from the greatest and most central enemy that dogs every leader and every single person. Sin and its wage death. He is proclaimed king and saviour by his resurrection. He knows our weaknesses and trials, yet is without sin himself. He can truly represent us to God the Father and having loved us so much as to give up his life for us, to save us for eternity He's now not going to fail us in the lesser things, the things that worry us even now. We need not fear for the future of God's people here in EPC. We need not fear whether this church or any church of God's people will be cared for. Maybe you're thinking of that health issue, that hard decision you've got on your mind, that circumstance that's so difficult. Well, make the best decisions you can, but do it knowing and trusting God with the eyes of faith, not the eyes of sight. Like David, who has done the great Um, Jesus is like David, who did the greater thing already for you. And he's promised he will take care of you now. The climate of the earth is something firmly in God's domain. So pray and act responsibly. And that difficult person who seems impossible even for God to save... He or she is no more difficult than you were to save. Unless, of course, you don't believe you were a sinner. We were all impossible to save. We're all the work of God. So don't give up with that person, whoever they are. Trust God. Keep praying for them. Keep sharing the gospel with them. God has loved you magnificently already. So take confidence that He will not give up on you today or tomorrow. This is what living by faith rather than by sight means. I'm going to ask Jasmine to come up and read Romans eight thirty one to thirty nine.
0: So Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
1: Thank you. What great verses they are. What great verses they are. So like David before Goliath and your Lord Jesus before the cross, put your faith your trust in God as you face your future. Whatever you are facing, walk by faith, not by sight. Don't be like Saul who looked at what is seen and trembled. Rather be like David who looked to what is unseen and went forward boldly so be of good courage resist and trust God do not he will not fail you this is spiritual warfare be much in prayer be reminding each other of these things not as the world does uh, to see things not as the world does but to see with the new eyes that God gives and live accordingly hold fast to the gospel truth you have been taught Be committed to pursuing righteousness and holiness. Love one another earnestly and carefully and start sharing the gospel. Keep sharing the gospel with those lost around you and in your lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the story of David and Goliath. Not only is it great fun to read as a story, and so memorable and challenging. But we thank you for its call for us to see the world differently, to see like David, who looked by faith, not by sight. So help us, Father, to look to the one that David pointed to, the Lord Jesus Christ, to remember what great battle he fought for us on the cross, what uh, payment he made for us and how he rose gloriously from the grave. And help us, Father, to trust him to keep looking after us and to go forward with the challenges in front of us with our faith in you rather than living by sight. Uh, Help us, Father, to be people who are known for our faith in you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.